Thank you for listening to our weekly Baylife Church podcast. Make sure you visit our website, baylifechurch.org.au, where you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes so that you'll never miss another message. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Two. Yes, got me. Good. We didn't get a chance to do a sound check before, so you're never really sure that these things are going to work. Hey, good to be in church. Good to have all the chairs in church this morning. So, uh, um, don't, <laughs> don't you? Isn't it different? Like, we've been so spread out. Two chairs, two chairs, two. Now we're all sort of all these chairs, and you actually can sit next to somebody and. Uh, if you want to, you can. You don't have to. If you want to, you can. So, um, so thank you for the team that put on Christmas Eve. It was great. It was really great. Yeah, give them a clap. So good. Had a great crowd. We had the place pretty full. I mean, I don't think we're right to capacity, but we're sort of getting close. So, uh, um, so that was brilliant. And uh, yeah, I thought it was a really good celebration and, and uh, had some Visitors in, which was always nice. Hey, I'm going to start by reading a bit more of Luke 2. We started last week and read the birth of Jesus and because uh, we haven't really done much preaching on Christmas this year. sort of snuck up on us a little bit. But I'd like to just read the next part of Luke 2 because um, it talks about uh, Jesus being presented in the temple. Um, after eight days, and that's the, the, the rhythm of what the Jewish system was. It says this on verse 21 out of Luke 2. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, that's Jesus. Oh, his name was Jesus. The name that the angel had given him before he'd been conceived. When the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, which was eight days, um, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a prayer of doves or two young pigeons. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went in the temple courts. When the parents brought him in, brought the child, Jesus, to do what for him that the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, the child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So true. So true. And so this is like, you know, eight days after Jesus was born and, uh, and I just thought, you know, we, we, we sort of forget the context of that. That would be in a few more days from this, you know, about New Year's Day. And, uh, and, and Jesus is declared Christ again through in the, the temple court. And, uh, and I, I don't know, how would you have been being Jesus' parents? There would have been so many question marks, so many thoughts of, is this child really the Messiah? And then it, 
No, he's just a kid. Like he just, he poos and he wheezes and he eats and he sleeps and, and cries and all those things that a normal kid does. And that gets declared in, in the temple court that, oh gosh, this is the Messiah. And now Simeon's basically saying, I can die now because I've seen the Christ. Just, just fascinating when you read that stuff in context. You know, Matthew 2's got a, another story, the Magi, which is lovely to read as well, um, just to give a bit more context around this. Well, this morning, I'm going to do the next part of this sort of short series we started last Sunday called Courageous Prayers. And uh, in our life, I think we've all got a propensity to default to safe, boring prayers. You know, like it's just easy. It's just, it's just easy. And particularly thinking about this 21 days of prayer and fasting coming up in January, which as Robin said, you can sign up to up the front desk there if you want to. I think we pray wimpy prayers sometimes, really small, wimpy prayers, because if we really knew who our God is, if we really knew how big and amazing and enormous he is, we'd be praying big, audacious, courageous prayers. Like if we really got in connected to who our God is, our prayer life would be very different to the way I often pray. And uh, because very often they are puny, small, self-centred prayers. And that's okay for a season. If you looked at, you remember last week if you were here, we looked at a confessional prayer, a courageous prayer out of Psalm 139. It said, search me, search me God, know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts, see if there's any offensive way in me, lead me in the way everlasting. And if you, you could go back and listen to a podcast or watch YouTube on that if you wanted to. But this morning we're going to talk at, look at another courageous prayer. And this is a prayer I don't take lightly because it's a tough prayer. This is a, called a transformational prayer, if you like. That's what we've called it here. And it could change your life. It could ch- change my life, and I'll show you that in a minute. It could change the way you approach God. It could change the way you walk out your Christianity and... And this courageous prayer is basically, if you break it all down, is break me. Break me, Lord. Not a prayer we really want to pray. You know, it's, it's not, is it? Like, it's not a prayer that's in your everyday prayer life. Break me, Lord. Because I guarantee you pray that prayer, he will. And, uh, and it's just a tough, tough prayer. Break me, Lord. Break me, Lord. You know, I don't really, not too worried about the search me, Lord. You know, that's okay, but break me. That's a whole another level, and it's a courageous prayer. I want to read you a devotional this morning um, out of one of my favourite devotionals, My Utmost for His Highest from uh, Oswald Chambers. Now, the language is a little unusual, so I hope you, you catch it, but I just, look, I've read this now for at least 15 or 16 years, just about every day, and I get new stuff out of it every day. Like, it's just amazing that something that's written all that time ago can still speak to me that's not the Bible. Like, he's he's talking about scriptures in the Bible. And he bases this one, well, he's called it God's Purpose or Mine, and it's out of Mark 6.45 is the verse he uses, and it says this. He made his disciples get in the boat and go before him to the other side. I'm just going to read this to you, okay? So... uh, Hang in there, it's a little long, but I think it's worthwhile reading it. We tend to think that if Jesus Christ compels us to do something and we are obedient to him, 
He will lead us to great success. That's what most of us think, I think. We should never have the thought that our dreams of success are God's purpose for us. In fact, his purpose may be exactly the opposite. And this will be a shock for some of you here this morning. It was a shock for me, really. We have the idea that God is leading us towards a particular end or... or um, oh, I've got my pages mixed up here. Wrong one. Particular end or desired goal, but he is not. The question of whether or not we arrive at a particular goal is of little importance to him. And reaching it becomes merely an episode along the way. What he sees is only the process of reaching a particular end. God sees as the goal itself. What is my vision of God's purpose for me? Good question. Whatever it may be, his purpose is for me to depend on him and on his power now. If I can stay peaceful and faithful and clear whilst in the middle of the turmoil of life, the goal of the purpose of God is being accomplished in me. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. God is not working towards a particular end or finish. His purpose is the process itself. We are so focused on the end result when God wants to work in us in the process, in the midst, and, and what it does in me. What he desires for me is that I see him walking on the sea, which is the next verse in that, that Mark 6, with no shore, no success, no goal in sight, and I've just put in the brackets here, no photo- photographs, no Instagram, <laughs> but simply having the absolute certainty that everything is going to be all right because I see him walking on the sea in this process, not the outcome that is glorifying to God. God's training is for you now, for me now, not later. His purpose is for this very minute, not for some time in the future. We have nothing to do with what will follow our obedience. We are wrong to concern ourselves with it. What people call preparation, God sees as the call itself, as the goal itself. God's purpose is to enable me to see that, we can walk, that he can walk on the storms of my life right now If we have a further goal in mind, we're not paying enough attention to the present time. However, if we realise that the moment by moment obedience is the goal, then each moment as it comes is precious. I love that. You see, so often we think if we're obedient to God, (laughs) that we'll be blessed because of that. And it's like, no, no, no. It doesn't work like that. God's not concerned about the end result, the goal, the, the, the blessing, he's concerned about our obedience and what gets built in us in the process of that. He's concerned about you and me, our character, our integrity, building that up in us in the process of life. And wherever that leads us to, he'll work it out, you know, and, and, and he's, he's okay with that. Transformational prayers are courageous prayers. And this prayer particularly, we're going to, it's, not, it's not actually a prayer we'll look at, but it's the, the concept of breaking me. We're going to look at two scriptures out of the book of Mark this morning. Been looking a bit out of the book of Mark, haven't we? Uh, Mark 14.3, we're going to look at. And there's another verse we'll look at just a little bit after another verse. While Jesus was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Let me pray before I get into this. I feel like I just need to pause. Father, we thank you, God, for your Holy Spirit. God, we thank you for the revelation you give us of your word for our lives, 
for the things we're going through, for the season we're in, good or bad, Lord. And, and Lord, I also recognise that this time in Christmas, the Christmas time, God, there can be great celebration in family, but God, there can be great loneliness. You know, there can be great sadness um, in the same season for some people. And so, God, we, we, we ask you in this morning to our hearts, into our minds, into our spirits, into our souls, God, that, that we give you honour and glory in our lives, God, no matter what we're going through right now, God, and that you will work it for good, God. One way or another, you'll work it for good. And, God, we just have to camp ourselves in that place and try and keep our peace and our quietness of soul and our stillness in you, God, knowing that you will work it all out in your time. We pray that in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So Mark's 14, talking about Jesus in the home of Simon the leper and a woman came with an alabaster jar of, of perfume and she broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Now, we need to understand the backstory of this a little bit to really appreciate what's going on. You see, this is Jesus the Messiah. This is the Son of God. This is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, reclining at a table of Simon the... Who? The leper. No one associates with lepers. No one hangs with lepers. Who does that? They're usually outcast to the edge of the cities. But this is Jesus, God, reclining with Simon the leper. You see, no one else does it, but Jesus does. Then a woman enters the scene. Who's this woman? Well, it's been shown that this, is, this woman is a prostitute. No one in this culture, particularly Jewish culture, associates with prostitutes in public anyway. But Jesus does. But Jesus does. And she bought this jar of pure nard, they're told, of perfume, and very expensive perfume. And actually, if you do a bit of research on this, I found out it's valued as like a year's wages. Now, we don't understand what, what that might mean, like a bit of perfume, so what? You know, we can buy it down the chemist. And, but this is really expensive perfume. And it's a year's wages. Just think about that. A year's wages in a bottle that you're carrying around. That is a lot of money. And not only that, this perfume was actually a tool of her trade. You see, this woman would actually use this perfume in what she did. And it would either be to attract new trade. You know, she'd put the perfume all over and, and the people would walk past and go, hmm, that's unusual and that's nice. Or it would be also to, you know cover any personal hygiene issues that might have been there as well. They sort of identified her because perfume wasn't that common back then, right? And uh, so we're told she broke the whole jar, the whole jar, whole year's wages worth, and poured it, crack, poured it on Jesus' head. And I just find this is mind-blowing. She broke the jar and poured it out on him. She broke the jar and poured it out on him. You see, that is some sacrifice. That's some, I don't know if it was obedience necessarily, but it was certainly a sacrifice. It was some commitment. And I want to show you something here quickly. You see, her gift represented at least two things about her. It, the gift represented her past, her past, who she was, 
and what we've just spoken about, she was a prostitute, a woman of ill repute. No one really wanted to hang with her. I mean, the men wanted to use her, of course. And the women, they just despised her. So she, she was isolated, despised, used, abused. I just want you to feel the impact of that. But this man, Jesus, this God, showed her respect. He showed her love and acceptance and forgiveness. He was in a leper's house. And he, he, he absolutely accepted this prostitute. So it represented her, her past, but also represented her future. And the fact that she was done with prostitution from that point forward. Because of how Jesus responded to her, he chose, she chose not to do that anymore, not to be that any longer, to, to, to recognise she didn't need to do that anymore. And, and look, she could have sold the perfume like, and got a year's wages, but she chose get this, to give it freely to Jesus. She was broken and poured out for Jesus as her expensive perfume was broken and poured out. And at the end of this year and the start of a new year coming, there can be no better prayer for us than say, break me God, break me God, pour me out for you God. I want to be used by you Jesus. I want to be an instrument in your hand. And if we read a little bit further on that same chapter, Mark 14, a few verses later, we read the story of Jesus and the disciples in the Last Supper. And it's Mark 14, verses 22 to 24. As they were eating, I know what that's all about after Christmas, my gosh. <laughs> Waiting way too much. Just, need those girdle things that pull your gut in. So, um... Although I think just all my clothes have just shrunk. So Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, take it for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and they all drank, drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. It is poured out as a sacrifice for for many. You see, he is broken and poured out for you and for me. Don't ever forget that. Broken and poured out. Broken and poured out. So interesting. Luke had a slightly different version of that story. Luke 22, 19. And Jesus took the bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, this is a, a little subtle, but, but just stay with me for a bit. Do this He's saying, do this. What does that mean? Do what? It's directing us to do communion in remembrance of Jesus, taking the bread and the wine. But perhaps he's also directing us towards something more as well, symbolically, that we might be broken and poured out in remembrance of him. I can't prove that necessarily, but there seems this parallel between the physical act and this idea of being broken and poured out. There's this breaking needed in us to really become all that God wants us to be. Hmm. 
you know, and, and I'm sorry if you've heard this story before, but I just want to give you this. This is absolutely what happened to me. It's a personal testimony of brokenness. You know, and you might remember last time we preached about this property and how that came to be and how God gave us that scripture of, you know, you're going to a good land and, and I'd expect God gives you that scripture. Everything's going to be easy now. Like you're going to a good land. Let's, let's take the land and... But it wasn't. It was hard. And we moved on to this, this property. Like it took a year to get ready to get through his council process. And 20, 20, uh, 2007 was our first service. But it actually caused a bit of a split in the church. And so all the people that I thought would have been coming with us to do church here, they were no longer with us. And people I thought were supporting us. And, and it surprised me. And a few years along the the, the track, I thought, yep, we're going to, you know, we had the little hall we were meeting in there and this was a shell, an alsonite shell and this pool and, and, you know, we were in a bit of process with that but not very much. And I thought everyone was going to be inspired and jumping in and let's, let's build the auditorium and let's finance it and let's do this. It just wasn't happening, you know. And 2009, 2010 was a really tough year for us personally, you know. And for the church. Our son had tried to take his life after a long-term relationship breakup. And uh, we were completely unaware of all that was going on. He was struggling at all. And he moved home from Hobart where he was studying. And he moved in with us. And he was a bit out of control. Um, there was lots of pressure here. You know, I was trying everything I knew to make this happen. To try and move forward in building this place. And... And, you know, in the same time we were stuck in the little room in there, it was hot and sweaty and, and wall-to-wall people and, and, you know, and we had no money. It was just going round and round circles and it seemed like nothing, no support to build anything. Then you had the, the layer of the RTA and the council creating pressure on us and and, uh, you know, they, they said we have to do a deceleration lane out the front there. And we thought, oh, yeah, how much will that cost? 50000 something like that. 180000 plus 180000 in trust, 360000 we had to find. We'd spent 30000 on the, the plan, the study side of it. Then we had no money left and we couldn't afford to do anything. I was really close to burnout, can I tell you? I was so close. I remember I was losing sleep. I was waking up every night in a cold sweat. It was really the first time in my life that I felt like everything didn't seem to work out and make sense. I felt overwhelmed. I was ready to throw it in. I can't do it. I must have got it wrong from God. I must have missed it. I must have misunderstood what was going on. I just have to resign. I can't get the church into this building. I can't really make this happen. And I wanted to run. <laughs> and I remember this one day. Robin asked me a question. Hmm. Simple question. Are you all right? The answer was, and the first time I admitted, to, admitted it to her or to myself, the answer was, no, I'm not all right. I was actually a blubbering mess, you know, and it didn't take much for me to cry at that stage. I, I was pretty shattered, and uh, I'm not really a crier at all. And the truth is, if you want to give it perspective on this message, I was being broken and poured out for God. My self-confidence was gone. <laughs> My arrogance, if you like, was gone. 
even my talents and skills, my experience were all being poured out because I, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't make any difference. I was completely empty. And instead, I had to learn to rest in God in the midst of the chaos. I had to trust in the mess, to wait in the darkness of my soul, to recognise that Jesus builds his church, not Greg, not me, not, not Chris, not, not anyone else. Jesus builds his church, not Robin. And to have my confidence not in me, but in God. Not my skills, not my expertise, not my confidence, not, nothing of me, because it was all gone. I was shattered. <laughs> Seriously, I was very different. Even the thing I pride myself on, perseverance, didn't seem to make any difference. I've been doing the same thing for years and it just didn't seem to do anything. The only thing I could do was hold on to the promise he had already given us. I'm taking you into a good land. It didn't look like a good land to me. It didn't feel like a good land to me right at that point. It felt like a trap. We were stuck. We'd sold our family home. We'd given it all in. We had nothing. We had nothing. It looked like it was all about to crumble. And I was ready to run. Hmm. And truthfully, God came through in a way that I could never have understood or foreseen or considered. I was broken and poured out in the midst of all this chaos. The RTA wanted to close, close us down through council and, and it looked like, I don't think they ever would have, but it felt the pressure of that, you know. Then one day, <laughs> this guy tries to make an appointment, turns up in my office and said, guess what, you don't have to do all those roadworks that we've been pressuring for you for the last couple of years and we've got funding to do the dual lanes out the front there and you don't have to do it anymore. And it's like, you sure? That doesn't make sense to me. Anyway, they ended up purchasing land from us out the front there, which actually ended up helping us build the rest of this property, this auditorium. At the same time, our son Brenton got saved radically in this process. He went back to finish his medical degree. And it's just like, I could ne it wasn't about the end process of this, it was the end goal of this. It was actually about what was happening in me and in the church in that process because you came out very different if you're around at that stage. You came out very different as a consequence of that process we went through because we saw God in motion. We couldn't do it. We didn't have finances. We didn't have expertise. We, we just couldn't do it. And God moved. We were broken and poured out and God moved. And sometimes God does his work in the midst of the tears. You need to understand that this morning. It's not just the good times. In fact, he does far more in the tough times, I think. Psalm 34, 17 says this, The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. But not necessarily when we want it to happen or how we want it to happen. But he will move. Psalm 55, 17. Morning, uh, sorry, evening, morning and noon, I cry out in distress. He hears my voice. I'll tell you another quick story because I have got some time. I remember a girl who came that we knew in our life uh, had been through a pretty tough time. We invited her to church um, and uh, she was a bit resistant for a fair while. Then eventually came, but she was so uncomfortable because every time she came to church, she just burst into tears. She just cried. She just wept. 
And, uh, and until we're actually able to make her feel comfortable with that idea, it's okay to cry in church. In fact, God is working in your tears. He's bringing healing in the midst of the tears. And, and to know that she wouldn't be judged because she was crying. She thought she would be judged because she was weeping. And we had to make her understand, no, God moves in the tears. He, he brings healing in the midst of the chaos, in the tears you're crying. And one day, eventually, one day, maybe, you, you, there might be a time when you stop crying. It may not happen, but maybe there will be. And, and, and just give us some, like it's okay in church to do that, please. And she wouldn't be judged and it was a safe, safe place. And, uh, and that she could, in the midst of the tears, the tears she could be healed. And uh, anyway, one day she did stop crying after about a year. After about a year, she cried every Sunday. She'd sit in a back corner somewhere and just sob her heart out. And that's exactly what she needed to do. And as she wept, she felt so close to God. She felt God repairing little by little, little by little, not all at the same time, not even consequential, like it wasn't a, a, like that. It was probably more like this. And she felt God healed something inside of her. And today she's still walking with God, which is wonderful. See, we try to impress God and people with our strength and being resolute, and, and, and that's okay. But we actually connect with God and people through our brokenness. When we're broken, life's greatest blessings come through the breakings. Through the breakings. You know, just to start to finish off. Peter got broken. He, used to not, he denied Christ three times. He was a broken man. He realised what he'd done. He put the Messiah on the cross and he was murdered on that cross. And there was all that hope gone in that instant. And, but Jesus restored him and used him in a way that he could never be used until he was broken. Maybe our prayer should be the same. Break me, Lord, so you can use me. Break me, Lord, so I can be used by you. You know, there's a story in the Old Testament about a woman and a wife seeking God for a child to be pregnant. She couldn't get pregnant. Her name was Hannah. And one day this priest, Eli, heard her praying and thought she was drunk. And uh, you know, in, in the verses in this, this scripture in 1 Samuel, verse 10 it says, In the bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow to the God that if he gave her a son, that she'd commit the son to the Lord. Anyway, this is, this is Eli. He's, he's challenged about being drunk. And this is uh, Hannah's response. In verse 15, Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. I'm broken and poured out. Broken and poured out. Broken and poured out. Let's pray as the band comes. Father, we, we thank you, God, that we don't understand very much about your will and purpose on this earth, God. All we know, Lord, is that we can be obedient to you. We can follow you with all our hearts. 
and God in the midst of all the chaos of life very often, do you use that brokenness? You, as we're poured out, God, you use that for your purposes on this earth, God. And Lord, I, I pray this morning, God, that we break those concepts of, of, well, if we do the right thing, we'll be blessed. Well, maybe, maybe not. God uses us in a way that we don't even understand. He does things that we can't even comprehend. He does it in a way that we can't comprehend. And Father, here this morning, Lord, that's my prayer for this church, God. That we are broken and poured out for you, Lord. You're broken and poured out for us, God. And it just seems appropriate that we take that same stance, that same stance. Lord, do in us what you want to do, God. Not what we want. Not what we even understand. God, do in our hearts what only you can do in us and therefore through us. And God, you'll get the glory on the other side of that breakthrough. You'll get the glory on the other side of that chaos that's currently happening, the storm. God, as you walk on the storms of our life, we understand that it's you that's in control, not us. We let go of that which we need to let go of. God, can you just open your palms and your hand just for a minute? Just, just where you are. Just, just, just relax just for a minute. Just open your palms and just let God, just let go of those things you know you've been holding on to too tightly. God, we let go of those things right now. Lord, we release them back to you, God. God, we do ask for your blessing and your favour and your provision and your protection, of course. But God, we give you that. We give it back to you. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a family. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's bitterness of soul. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe it's, it's past that, that's catching up on you. Uh, maybe you're so concerned about the future that you're not able to enjoy the today, to right now. Whatever it is, just let go of it right now. Just let go of it. Take a deep breath. Peace of God that transcends all understanding. Fill my spirit, fill my soul. God, we release that to you in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I do know that's a somber message for a festive season, but not everyone's celebrating in this season either, are they? So, uh, so I want you to just contemplate that, meditate on that, let God show you those things you need to perhaps let go of, the, the things that need to be broken in you um, and poured out for his purposes on this earth. Let's do it.